This is the Erasing Shame Podcast, Season 3. Honest talk for healthy living, growing, and thriving. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Erasing Shame. We are actually here today just between me and DJ here. It's been a few episodes since we've actually had a chance to catch up since uh, he's been busy traveling there, DJ. Um, but yeah, I know we wanted to touch base a little bit today and uh, kind of go through some stuff about shame and faith, which is an exciting topic for both uh, DJ and myself, since we are both Christians and uh, it's definitely a journey of walking through our faith and um, uncovering the layers of shame. Uh, I know that both DJ and myself were in leadership roles in the church, but um, DJ, did you want to share a little bit about your journey with that and how that's looked like so far? Sure. Um, shame. The thing with the thing with having a faith, it's not a real uh, easy to talk topic to talk about with anybody and everybody. And so there's an element of shame of that that uh, I know I've had times in my life where I've kind of pulled back and not talked about my faith when it was actually the presenting issue. So I think back of a time when I was working as an engineer and I had some Christian music playing in the background and someone asked me, what kind of music is that? And instead of saying it was Christian music, I said something like, oh, it's just folk music. And so I was embarrassed because I was young in my faith and I was embarrassed to bring up that I was listening to Christian music. And um, so embarrassment is kind of next door to shame, but there's also uh, the shame piece of it because uh, I'm not as bold as I could be. And there's a Bible verse in the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul, the author of that book, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So mm-hmm. he's, he was not ashamed to proclaim uh, the truth of what he believed. And um, I think... Well, for one, in a professional setting, I, I don't want to get tied up into a faith discussion when we're supposed to be working, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, on, that's been on my mind, and when I'm in different situations, particularly non-faith situations, like the rest of life, <laughs> besides church, um, then I hesitate to bring it up, and I wonder how much that is related to shame. Yeah, I mean, I'm in financial services, and I find that certain topics like faith, politics, even Mm -hmm. investment strategies, um, they can be controversial for people. And sometimes people don't really fully know how to engage. Um, As it pertains to our faith, though, it's such a big part of who we are, because we're all meant to be spiritual in some way. And, you know, different people do have different faiths. So I think it's important for us to also recognize that that's part of our humanity, right? We're body, soul, spirit, mind, everything all in once. So for you, um, what's helped you in terms of being able to find safe spaces to talk or share or fully feel like you can embrace that? Well, when it's a spiritual discussion, I, uh, I, I'm able to share my perspective. So if the environment is compare notes, like comparative religion, Mm-hmm. And I've been to conferences where it's that, then I can freely talk about my Christian faith. And then um, I think the hardest one I have navigating is when I'm in work situations or conference situations was just secular. And um, 
I don't know, in the shopping mall, in the grocery store, at school, mm-hmm. um, where where faith is just not part of the discussion. And so it seems it can feel odd to bring it in uh, when it's not part of the discussion. It's like bringing in existentialism at the football game. <laughs> it's just not something people are talking about. And uh, actually with this podcast, we, we don't bring up faith very much on mm-hmm. erasing shame because shame covers so much more than faith, but uh, yet faith is part of the human condition, like you said. And so I thought it was about time that we address it um, head on because it is an important part of our lives. Now, not everybody is of faith. So uh, let's just throw a coin toss. Let's say half the people are of faith and believe it's really important for them. And for half of the other people, they're, they're not so concerned about faith. Faith might be a small part or no part. Uh, they've got other things that preoccupy their mind and their thoughts. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, though, whether or not someone believes in God, they have faith in something, right? It's basically having some sort of hope for the future. And so there's a lot of different, you know, conversations about that. But Essentially, we don't have control over everything over our lives. There are things that are outside of our control. That's just the human experience. Um, And that's where also a lot of fear and anxiety lives when we don't know what's going to happen in the future. So in terms of our podcast, I feel like even though it's not necessarily a Christian podcast, you know, we do talk a lot about spirituality just because that's where our hope lies. And whatever practice that people do seek, whether it's Christian or Buddhism or whatever other things that works for them, it is kind of accepting that there's something outside of ourselves that we do need to latch on in order to be able to um, progress and grow forward and have some sort of hope in something larger than ourselves, right? So I think that's one important thing to really distinguish about why it's important to be able to invite that into the conversation of healing and um, just growth and learning. So, yeah, that's a good thought. It's a uh, the image that came to mind is like this is this is a whole big power source, a battery, or a, a uh, electrical outlet that we're not plugging into when we're trying to go through the challenges of life, and certainly yeah. shame shame is a big uh, dark black hole uh, that keeps us um, hidden and weighed down with things, and this is one more resource and a very powerful one at that. So. Um, sometimes when I talk about my struggle with mental illness, um, sometimes I mention faith, sometimes not. And uh, for me personally, faith has been a big part of my recovery because that's what gave me the uh, transcendence to look beyond my immediate situation. And I needed to look for help outside of myself than just what I could muster up inside. It's a very common teaching for people to look inside and to find your own voice and to be self-compassionate. And those are good things, but sometimes that's not enough. And Mm -hmm. that's what I found for me. It wasn't enough. And so I had to look outside and reach out for help from other people, reach out for help from medication and reach out for help from my understanding of God. And uh, one of the things I found interesting, and I think about this quite a bit because I grew up in a non-Christian home. So I know what it was like to be non-faith and to have faith. And I think about that juxtaposition uh, for people that are not of faith and how they live their life. And 
Uh, sometimes the categories we have now as Christians just don't fit um, those that don't have faith. Um, I also didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I would say that it was very confusing. And when I did become a Christian, it was at a place in my life where I hit rock bottom. And I just really appreciate the last episode that uh, Eunice did with postpartum depression, because I think that that message applies not just for pregnancy, but for any major life transitions that happen, because it's a lot of changes all at once. And it could be physical, right? Um, biological, neurochemical changes, geographical. Um, and, and there's this expectation on the other side that you got it all together. And maybe it's a new, exciting start, a new, exciting journey. And there's a lot of shame in talking about um, the process of change. And I think the best way for me to explain is the butterfly cocoon experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what I had to go through of going inward and having that cocooning season before this butterfly season can emerge, right? But when we talk about faith too, um, that's where I found my source of life on the other side because I didn't have the support coming from you know a family that didn't really have encouraging words to share, but always placed a lot of heavy expectation. And so when you're in the middle of that and there's a lot of help that's needed, I feel like the biggest opportunities for growth in my life happened during the hardest seasons of my life. And, you know, that's just life. It's a beautiful thing that we get to grow. And, you know, it's called growing pains is how I see it. But there's a lot of shame involved in that process. And so what I found comfort in is knowing that when I did learn about God, when this was about six, seven years ago, that whether or not my family was there, whether or not my friends could handle all of my burdens, that God was there and I could carry my burdens to him. And I always had someone to cry out to. And I always had someone that was for me. So I knew that no matter what, I was not alone as well as on a deeper level as Christians, you know, we believe that God is our father and I really, when I had my hard time, I recognized that what I was seeking the most was the love of a heavenly father, the love of a father that I never really experienced here in life um, until I started learning about the words of the Bible, of what it says about, you know, we are his chosen people and we are his sons and daughters and that I am a princess, right? And so all these things that really teach us about identity and that's so important. Um, so when it comes to faith, I think that the key thing is recognizing that it gives you a foundation of truth to stand firm on. So no matter how your emotions are, because emotions change, you can have 10, 20 emotions in a given you know, minute. Um, I remember there's someone from my uh, church that pretty much says you can be, you know, happy, excited, horny, nervous, anxious all in one minute. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. But that's just the reality. Our, our feelings lead us in every which direction, but if there is no foundation of truth or a deeper sense of identity, that's when we can really get lost. So. Yeah. Faith certainly does give that framework for people thinking for people that really struggle through life, particularly with addiction and alcoholics anonymous. The first step is recognizing you have a problem. And then the second step is uh, realizing you need a higher power. So uh, even though in the alcoholics 12-step approach, 
the higher power is not specifically uh, the God who wrote the Bible and revealed himself ultimately through uh, Jesus Christ who died and rose again. And if we believe we uh, have this um, life that's abundant and eternal. Um, believing something that's outside of yourself has helped so many people overcome their addiction. And so there's something to that. And I think we don't have to take that away from people that want to use faith as part of their resource. And, um, and I know there's many, many different kinds of religions out there. Uh, the other interesting thing I find is uh, this guy named Abraham. He has single-handedly uh, been the root of three major world religions. So the, the religion of Judaism, the religion of Islam and the Muslims, and Christians and Christianity all trace their roots to Father Abraham. And so mm -hmm. there's some, something about that guy <laughs> that has really uh, changed the course of human history. And so I, I can't just dismiss that because I want to hold on to naturalism and science. So um, Yeah, and even the word history, right? Yeah. His story um, predates according to the history of Jesus Christ. And so... I guess for me, too, there's something to be said about that, right? Um, I guess the other aspect of faith, though, that can make it a little difficult is because there is an expectation, and this is where there can be a lot of division or controversy, depending on how you perceive the Bible. Um, and this is where sometimes there's division in churches, right? Um, but I think instead of Focusing so much on the things that can do this, um, this you should be, right? The expectation approach. It's more so taking the humanness from it and allowing people to discover, self-discover um, where their journey is with God and being able to identify that for themselves. And I think this is where, for me, being in leadership development and coaching has taught me a lot about learning how to work with people in terms of better helping empower people as well as communicate things in a way that can help um, them discover as opposed to just telling people how to feel or be or to do, right? To dictate their life because nobody mm -hmm. wants to be told what to do. That's like a parent. And so as adults, we definitely don't want to be told what to do. And I think if we kind of talked a little bit more about training people how to be more present, to be better listeners, to be better um about engaging in conversations so that people can feel acknowledged and heard at the same time, um, allowing people to self-discover. Cause it is different when you talk about your faith on a one-on-one -on -one conversation versus someone listening to a podcast or listening to a sermon, someone, you know, on the top of the pulpit, there's a different sort of interaction and engagement that we just need to be conscious of. So I think that's one difference that doesn't get distinguished, but can be sometimes very uh, detrimental in terms of relationships if we're not aware of that. Yes, very much so. And uh, at this point, I think it's fair and um, necessary to acknowledge that in some religious circles, that has been actually the very painful and hurtful part of creating shame on people in a religious community because they don't conform to that uh, co community's rule, rules. And yeah. so, so um uh, there, there are religious circles and communities that are known for being very judgmental. 
and there's some that protests uh, on every little thing. Now, I went to seminaries. I went to a place called Dallas Theological Seminary from 91 to 95. So I've had that theological training. But when I'm on a plane, so I travel quite a bit for work. I'm actually in the midst of five weeks of conferences that I'm going to one a week. And it's not the first conversation I bring up. But if it's something about the human condition and this podcast, it's very much a conversation starter. So I think uh, relating to people on a human human level is much more uh, helpful and mm-hmm. it doesn't, doesn't trigger the shame and the judgment and the pain yeah. that people may have had. But um, even at Dallas Theological Seminary, which is known to be pretty conservative, uh, we had a bus across the street from our graduation uh, theater of people that were protesting because we had women that wore lipsticks. <laughs> so there's some weird people out there when it comes to faith and they have hurt people, whether it's uh, their lifestyle choices or I don't know how they wear their hair or wear pants or yeah, uh, whatever shenanigans that people protest. Yeah. And because, you know, I, I love travel. I think I've been to almost 25 countries at this point. And the way that I think is helpful is when you travel, you have such an openness to take in culture and learn about the people and ways of life. And it comes from a place of less judgment. So if we treat people in the same way as, you know, we're just here to learn and support people where they're at and just come in open-minded, it's okay. It can create safe space for them to talk about it because we're just here to learn about them and what's helped them or um, just their experiences. And then just take from it whatever serves you and whatever it doesn't, it doesn't need to be imposed on you. It's just an exchange of our human experiences. And, um, you know, I think that's one cool thing about traveling internationally is you do get to meet a lot of people on an international level that, you know, we all just want to embrace one another and diversity and culture. And um, if we can bring that a little bit more here in America, just because Americans don't always necessarily travel as much, we are a very big country. So traveling to another state is kind of like traveling five countries in Europe. (laughs) Hmm. Um, I think introducing more culturally conscious conversations, I think would also be helpful. Yeah, very good. And uh, (laughs) as uh, we continue our conversations here at Erasing Shame, I hope to uh, bring some people of different faith perspectives so that we can exchange notes and uh, understand our humanity in different ways as well. Yeah. That's something I hope to do in the future. Yeah. And then it's really interesting because I'm learning about the psychology of shame. Mm. And through my life skills class, I'm hoping that I'll bring on, um, you know, one of the members from the program just so that they can kind of go through it more in depth. And I do back in terms of sometimes what I share, because I don't want to, um, I'm, I'm not a certified trainer or expert in that yet. So in terms of sharing that information, I don't want to say too much that it's misguiding. However, in a general sense, um, there is a psychology of shame. And as we let's just say uh, as we're born and we don't fully develop and certain parts of our brain are not nurtured correctly, we do, we do go through arrested development, which therefore causes us to maybe not fully develop that part of our brain. That's more compassionate, more open, more trusting, um, you know, more emotionally connected. 
And that also hinders us from connecting to God on a spiritual level. So there's a lot of different things that, um, because if your parents were raised a certain way, they probably raised you a certain way. It just kind of gets passed down. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. here in America, we hear a lot of things like Head Start programs, where now they start really valuing the developmental stages of children from the time that they're born, because we understand the impact that it has for adults later on in life. And as it pertains to, to shame, there is a psychological impact that stays with us. Um, and so I think it's really important to note that, you know, sometimes physiologically, um, that's just kind of something that we have to be aware of. And so I think it's been interesting learning about that because I was like, wow, there's so much within the Asian culture. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of other shame based cultures that today we get to embrace such as food. But mm-hmm. imagine if the Asian community did not have food, how else would we connect? Like, I feel like it's our main source of connecting. And it came as a result of probably, right, this arrested development feeling because most people can't talk about their emotions or can't talk about their pain, which in terms of the Brene Brown and American pop culture, it's like you connect with vulnerability. So when it comes to God, there's beauty in both, right? Because there's something beautiful in terms of dining with people. And so that's biblical that we do get to dine and have fellowship but also that it's when we open up ourselves on a deeper level is where our hearts can connect or our spirits can connect to others in this world. Yeah, very good. And uh, since we're talking about wishes, (laughs) if I may, uh, there's a really good book called The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. He talks about this whole neurobiology and the chemical toxic things that happen in your brain because of shame. Mm-hmm. And so it, there's, there's, there's a whole nother layer beyond the psychology that is the uh, neurobiology. So there's a, definitely a physical part. Shame actually can harm you. It's not just an emotion that yes. uh, comes and goes. And so there's, yes. there's that. And over the weekend, I came across a website called the Center of Healing Shame. Mm, and they have wow. some really good um, courses and ebooks and webinars about healing shame. And it's another modality, another method for navigating the psychological conversations. So I hope to learn more about them. And if they're open to join join on a show, uh, we can Mm -hmm. definitely learn a lot from that as well. Yeah. And I'm going through a lot of that too right now of how to overcome shame in my class. And in a nutshell, when we have shame, it means that there was a pain there. So in order to overcome it, we must address it. We must confront the shame, the pain, translate shame to pain. What was the pain? What was the loss? What didn't you get as a child? Or what were you right? Um, feeling in that moment? And um, kind of going back to our first episode for the season, right? Basically processing that through so that it can properly um, exit your body. But yeah, there are ways to overcome it. And because everything is um, on a physiological level in terms of our brain, it's it's understanding the power of the brain and uh, rewiring the brain. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> You're good. I would say, too, um, I don't know for you, did you experience a lot of shame in terms of, you said you didn't grow up Christian. And so I don't know when you had found God, but for me, that was six years ago. Was there shame in becoming a Christian? Because I feel like Chinese culture, there is a big Christian population. Whereas for me being a Vietnamese, 
I, I know I'm Vietnamese Chinese, but I do identify a little bit more on my Vietnamese side. Um, however, however, both sides of my family on my Vietnamese and Chinese side, they're not Christian. So there was a lot of, um, I guess, a sense of abandonment to my family that I chose to go a different way. And almost even <laughs> when I spoke to my mom um, some months ago and we had our big talk, she was like, you never asked me permission mm -hmm. to be a Christian. And I'm like, I didn't know that I had to, right? Because I'm an American and my brain doesn't think that I have to. Uh, whereas a lot of my family, because they still operate under the traditional values of having to have parents approve of things, then, you know, it was kind of a weird conversation that when she brought that up. But yeah, I do feel like for them, there was a sense of like, there was disloyalty when I chose mm -hmm. to pursue my faith. But for me, there's a lot of shame in some situations, whether or not I, I identified it in that moment or not, there was a lot of shame in choosing to branch out from the collective groups, sort of um, belief systems or their, their value systems. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've certainly had my share of uh, difficulties at home. My uh, dad is a very upstanding and loyal Chinese person. So very proud of being Chinese and proud of being honest and proud of the ancestral uh, family values. And so for, for me to become Christian uh, towards the end of my high school years was, uh, was uh, not so much a sign of disloyalty, but a concern of fear because my dad's biggest fear was that when you become a Christian or a church member, you would have to start tithing uh, which means giving a small percentage of your income uh, to in service to the church. And he didn't want us doing that. <laughs> mm. And then when I decided to go to seminary, uh, that was at the age of 25. That was a very difficult uh, discussion because I wanted to let him know and kind of ask for his blessing or permission uh, but I went into that meeting with a lot of fear and trepidation because I didn't want to be disowned. And yeah. those were kind of the feelings I had just growing up in the environment that anytime you go uh, away from the family values and understandings of life and of things, that um, something bad could really happen in, in yeah. the family dynamic. And, and so for some people, it really does um, uh, become a painful thing. So um, uh, there's a new book that's coming out by Russell Jung and some other colleagues that talks about the faith of Chinese Americans. And the statistic is 52% of Chinese Americans are not from, of faith. Mm -hmm. And how they make meaning out of life and how they find their identity is in their family. So for the Chinese uh, people, there's a lot of them that just really respect their family line and that's how they guide their way through life so in one sense yeah. that becomes their religion yeah and that's part of arrested development is enmeshment mm -hmm. basically your identity is intertwined with the family and for me that was a season of recognizing my enmeshment and breaking free of my family's identity as well as my career um, identity, as well as perfection, as well as a lot of different things that I've come in tune to for myself. But um, going back to breaking free of our family's sort of values and even faith, um, it comes back to when I, I 
I mentioned in a previous episode, but Eric Erickson's theory of when we're up to uh, 18 months of age, and that's the age when a toddler starts to uh, have self-exploration and they start to depart from their parent, right? Whoever the Mm -hmm. caregiver is, that's when shame begins in a child is that's when the first experiences of shame begin. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the emotional progression of that. But if we think of it on a collective sense of, it's kind of like if we don't do everything that the group norm has taught us to do in our uh, collectivist culture, our homogenous culture, then when we branch out from that, there is that same essence of shame. So I, um, I definitely have felt that in terms of my career choice, in terms of my beliefs, in terms of my faith. Um, but for us being Americans and knowing that we do have that freedom and that choice, I know that I get to pretty much break that generational uh, boundary that our families have set so that in the future, you know, my children will be able to hopefully have a little bit more freedom. <laughs> I know um, there's an aspect of we kind of do carry a lot of our parents' tendencies, but having first the awareness and like I said previously, the work that we get to do in creating a more nurturing, open, free environment for our children that um, they will be able to step into a greater level of freedom with that. So it'll yeah. be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I might raise hope for people that do have uh, different faith convictions that uh, faith needs to make that person a better person. And yes, so uh, there there are some weird religions out there that are not helpful to people. So mm-hmm. I I would um, fight fight for those and and try to lead them to a better path. But uh, for those that just have different religions, but it works for them, that I can I can be respectful of that. Uh, I'll close with a light story, a lighter story, since we're on such a heavy topic. So you ever watch that TV show, Fresh Off the Boat? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's one episode where one of the boys, uh, I think three sons, one of the uh, boys started going to Sunday school in church. And the mom was very concerned because it disrupted their sacred Sunday Costco shopping trips. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, religion for them. And so, yeah. So when when someone uh, gets more involved in a church life, it can disrupt their family life, and that's relationship, and that's that's what's um, the thing that's hard to navigate. Not so much the faith part, but the disruption of the family. And so, yeah. perhaps that's a situation for others as well. I, I know uh, from my years of pastoring and just uh, counseling with other young adults that the hardest thing is for them to stay more committed in church because they have family occupations and family routines. So, yeah. And we see that a lot with married couples if they have you know, two people of different faith, but I think there's a, a disruption there in terms of the family cohesion and just a collective unit, but there's also on a deeper level, I think a lack of control. Hmm. So if, you know, you have a parent or a spouse that now, is receiving information from a higher power, right? They're no longer the person who is the main source of greater wisdom or knowledge. Uh, And so I think you lose a little bit of weight in terms of that person's life uh, and the influence that you have. So Mm. that can be a little bit of a challenge as well. And because the arrested development, the brain for anybody who has arrested development and shame is very interesting because I learned that perfection is a form of shame. Mm -hmm. So if you have perfection, 
hundred percent, you have shame. Like it, it could be different levels of it, but perfection equals shame. So when we're so caught up into doing things our way or expecting it to look a certain way, and then we lose control of that. Um, yeah, there is that inner feeling of, Ooh, like, am I good enough? Am I worthy? Mm-hmm. Does my voice matter? Maybe, you know, all those different internal di- dialogue and feelings that we start feeling about, about shame. Well, so, that sounds yeah. like a great topic for a future episode, shame and perfectionism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Andrew Min kind of did that, right? So um, I learned a lot from his episode, actually. Yeah. So Great. Awesome. Well, it's definitely fun having a chance to interview you today. I think it's a little bit more fun on the other side. But uh, thank you, everyone, so much for tuning in. Um, please share this with other people that you think it could help. We just definitely want to be able to utilize this as a way for other people to find safe dialogue and being able to also go, go through their healing journey. But um, continue to check us out on Erasing Shame. And um, that's going to be goodbye for now. We are Erasing Shame, one story at a time. Thank you for being a part of Erasing Shame. Please rate and review on iTunes. Subscribe on YouTube and like on Facebook. Share with your friends and followers. Together, we are Erasing Shame, one story at a time. Get all the details at ErasingShame.com.